0: persistent and nasty podcast has teamed up with we edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription head over to we edition and type in nasty all capital letters 25 at checkout i have said it before i will say it again we edition really are the future of casting and also you can make money while being a member on the site you can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents you can just generally help each other out and it's a really important thing for us to do especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community our other offer for our listeners is still with backstage backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription you heard that right 12 months free if you follow the link in the description box for casting directors you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty
1: at checkout
0: Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here. How are you all doing? Well, I hope you're all okay. We're still living the lockdown life. Um, I hope that you are looking after yourself, taking care of yourself. I hope that you and your loved ones are safe and well. Remember, keep washing those hands, wear your masks, and be kind to each other. Today's episode is a first. We have two guests on today who are not. Working on a project together, we have Emma Jane Park, dancer and theatre maker, and Rosie Priest, researcher and artist. Today's conversation is actually one of part two, maybe even part three. We cover so much in this episode; I don't even know if I can put it all into the intro. But we started off. Our conversation was in reaction to the Stage One Hundred list that came out and how. We feel about um, artists being ranked in general, but in particular in the year of a pandemic. How does that actually come across? And are the gatekeepers really moving? Are things in our industry really changing? Are things really open? It is a really brilliant conversation. And as I say, it is part one of, at the moment, two parts, could end up being of three parts, but we shall see. Today, Misha is with us. And uh, for part two, it will be Louise. You can follow us on all social media, Twitter at PersistentNasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty, and you can always send us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. Please remember to like, subscribe, and download the episodes and rate us. It really makes a huge difference. Get us bumped up in those algorithms. Let's do it. Again, thank you to all of you who have been supporting us um, and who donate. As always, the link for our PayPal is in the description box. So, today's episode, we're still in January and uh, I would suggest, oh, maybe a wee hot chocolate and if you don't like hot chocolate, just really any beverage. Um, We recorded this on a Monday night, so um, I think a couple of us were indeed having a wee beer, so you may want to have a beer too. Anyway, sit back, relax and enjoy
1: not even got a slow cooker but I feel like everyone's talking about slow cookers this year this is the year for the slow cook
2: you that was my 30th birthday present and all my pals were like you're old and it was like I don't care what this means I love a slow cooker I'm so well fed it's really easy and also if you mull things in a slow cooker the flavor is like and also it means it can sit for quite a long time and you can have like an evening of mulled beer instead of being like what's gone a bit cold we've got to reheat it it just stays there waiting for you
0: this is wild i'm loving every (laughs) second of this that
1: moved me i I feel
0: (laughs) (laughs) so that's where we're at
1: there's yeah there's no on the
0: 11th day of january 2021 (laughs) slow cooking mulled beer
2: when this whole thing is done, I'm going to have one of those parties like where everyone brings a potluck dish. But instead, I'm going to be like, bring your slow cooker and mull a thing and we can just have like a mulled extravagant evening. You're
0: It's spectacular.
3: I made a mistake and tried to mull cider over Christmas, but I just didn't really follow a recipe. I was like, how hard could it be to mull cider? It was absolutely revolting. And I drank like about a litre of it. It was just like really sweet. And it had, I used all the mulling spices that you would use to mull like red wine. So like all of that clove and stuff doesn't go with cider. (laughs) Also, I accidentally got fizzy cider. So it was like (laughs) really, I was so committed. I was so committed to the idea of having mulled cider, but fudge it. Well done for managing a litre,
2: though.
0: I, I Yeah, I'm impressed.
3: Uh, yeah, it, it was Christmas.
1: You me can... into the cause. Exactly.
0: <laughs> I can drink just about anything in December, so it's fine.
1: So. I was if... like, who's going to speak? <laughs> <laughs> Here we are.
0: Well, we are, and I can't find the stand to my mic, so
1: <laughs> welcome, 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 Emma Jane Park and Rosie Priest to the persistent and nasty podcast 2021. Oh! <laughs> I think this might be season three. Oh, season three. I don't know. I'm I, I feel like season, maybe it's season four because season one was our original, season two was the fringe. Season three was post-fringe. Oh my gosh, we're I, I've She's lost four. I've lost my shit. I think we might be season six. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to me. I'm just gonna do my maths.
0: <laughs> also, I don't think we've ever had two guests on at the same time that are not working on a project together. So this is very exciting. Yeah well or maybe you are about to work on a project together I don't know maybe maybe, maybe I'm
2: this is this because I'm super I have so much admiration for Rosie as Rosie probably knows I hope you know that it makes Aww. me really nervous you know when you're like wow you're getting to sit in a room with someone that you idolize a little bit and I'm really scared I'm going to trip over my own tongue as I often do so oh
3: That's really nice. No one ever says that. Everyone's like, oh, it's just nice being in a room with Rosie because she'll bring some fancy beer or she'll try and mull some cider or something ridiculous like that.
0: (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) Why don't we do a little potted history of both of you? We'll start with Rosie and then we'll go on to Emma Jane. Ooh. Then we'll get to the crux of today's episode.
3: Mm. Uh, What kind of, what do you want to know about? Just. uh, just me. Well, I'm Rosie Priest and uh, I'm uh, currently, I'm studying for a PhD at the moment about how contemporary collaborative practices impact marginalized young people. It's great. I love it. Um, uh, my cat doesn't enjoy me reading books. She tends to eat them quite a lot. Uh, that's that's the main uh, hurdle I've got to get through from working from home at the moment for my PhD. And I also... Well, actually, my big news at the moment is that I just handed in my notice at Stella Quine's Theatre Company uh, last week, um, but I am still the creative learning associate for Stella Quine's, so I do all of their outreach work, and to be honest with you, like I have the best job in the organisation, so whoever gets to have that job is going to walk into a sweet dream, because uh, I get to work with people and I get to make fun things and do great stuff um also, through sort of a feminist lens which is like who doesn't want that that's great right right Thanks. um but apparently I don't because I'm <laughs> because I'm leaving uh to focus on my own art projects so at the moment I'm working on a project I got some funding from uh, Momentum to work on a, a performance piece which is sort of the first time I've done Performance, I guess. I've always made visual art, and uh, it's it's sort of a response to um, underrepresentation within the arts in general. And my practice of working with communities and working with people, and how do I legitimise that when the arts is a shit show, frankly? And why on earth would I encourage people to work in it? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's me, PhD. Stella Quines do my own art stuff.
0: I do it. love that the the listeners couldn't see, but Misha, Emma, Jane, and I's reaction when you said you'd handed in your notice—it was like a collective intake of breath and like <laughs> total <laughs> jaws dropping. What? Um, no. But how very exciting for you! I, okay. Totally, it's like Stellar Quines loss. Um,
3: yeah, I yeah, it's a, it's definitely the right time. I think um, Creative Learn, I they'd only done it for a year before I started and I've been there for two and a bit years now and I've made it, a, a, I've quadrupled their budget alone by fundraising and getting like buy-in from people. And I think I've made it into something really robust and meaningful, but what happens is I've sort of worked myself out of the job because the things I love is working with people and you get to a certain point And you're managing people you're like managing freelancers and you've got these like great artistic plans and then other people are delivering them you're just like shit why am i what i don't want to do excel i don't want to make a budget i want to be like getting my hands dirty and doing that fun stuff so someone's going to walk into a really great fun job i think
1: But it's such a brave move and it's so uh, brilliant that you're able to recognise that. I think in the arts, we so often get caught up in just having employment and feeling like we need to cling on to it, like with like claws, out of fear of the unknown. And so the fact that you're taking this step, I think is absolutely like, I'm just buzzing for you. How exciting. It's exciting.
3: It's terrifying where I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna go make my own art. Uh, I don't know if anyone told me that the art world is absolutely fucked at the moment. <laughs> there's no money. There's nowhere to do it. Everyone's busy. Oh, there's a global pandemic. Uh, but um, it also feels like the right move for the sector. I think that someone is gonna be able to go into this, this permanent position and do something really great and meaningful with it. And, you know, I'm doing a PhD. Who has time? Who has time to do a job and a PhD? That's bananas.
1: Why have I been doing that?
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Exhausted thinking about it.
3: And this is why I'm drinking beer so early on a Monday night. Oh, no, I don't think this is early
0: on a Monday night. I think we're
3: good. (laughs) It's very much beer o'clock.
0: Absolutely.
3: Thanks, guys. Thanks for validating me. I needed that. That's okay.
0: Thank you, Rosie. Uh, Emma. Hiya. Hiya.
2: Um, Hiya, um, I suppose it's worth starting with the fact that I hate this question. Um, I know, I know, I know, sorry. I I think most people do. It's just really, partly because I think it's a really tough question. And secondly, because if I'm going to be honest, I think I'm a total hot mess in terms of a potted history. I am, largely because, like, I didn't have a clue what I was getting into. I just was, like, quite like dancing and then so started doing stuff and I it, it's really funny speaking to you now and answering this now because I finally feel in this year like I maybe understand what what the industry don't like that word but I'll say it what the industry is and then like who I am and where I could be within that um so if you ask me in another five years I might be able to answer really succinctly and clearly um but I suppose I say I'm a dance and theater maker um by which I was I was questioned about that by my brother's girlfriend over Christmas, which was great. Because um, she'd looked at the website and she was like, what do you even mean? Why is that? And I was like, good question. Um, I just do live stuff with people and I'm really interested. And that ranges from, it's great that Rosie's here, um, 10 minutes of dancing with people in the yeah. morning, every weekday. Rosie was the DJ for Daily Dancing when it kicked off. Um, through to movement directing on... Mid to large scale performances, initiating my own work, um, as easy or difficult as that is. And I suppose I hadn't realized it, but doing quite a lot of advocacy. I hadn't realized that was something that I do and that I've been doing more and more of. So at the minute I'm working quite a lot with freelancers make theatre work. Um, lots of lobbying, lots of information sharing, um, and various bits and bobs there. And then within my own practice, kind of working on three bits of research under three different titles that totally weave in. One is moving slowly, that is literally just looking at at pace and actually how we do things, um, and largely influenced by the fact that I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at the start of last year, and probably should have looked for that diagnosis about two to three years before that, but had fought it, and so really... Question in that um, coming home which is about the fact that I've moved back to Dumfries and Galloway where I grew up um, and that includes a, like a bunch of different things that are sometimes artistic commissions are also looking at setting up a touring network brilliantly supported by Robin Yangfitch and Catherine Welch and I can't highlight them enough because it's massive um, and totally overwhelming and that same thing that Rosie was saying where you start doing something like that because you see an absence and then you go But I just kind of want to make and tour work (laughs) and then see work like I don't don't really want to run a touring network and I think I get really excited being in rooms with people who go so I don't want to have an empire or be the queen of that I just want that to happen and then I want to leave and write their own like exit plan in and and see that and I'm I have commitment issues I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) Have
3: you ever done that um that personality test like the campaigner the whatever all of those things the Okay, I think you should do it because I am pretty sure that we have, we will fall into the same bracket of like the campaigner. So like-
1: I'm, I'm the, the campaigner too.
3: <laughs> amazing, amazing. I have done this. I, I'm going to have to do it. Loads of my good friends are campaigners or like my partner is, I can't remember what his is, but he's like one, I'm extrovert and he's introvert. And that's like the difference in ours. And it's so funny once you know that, it sort of sli- it slots into like lots of different, yeah, you just sound like a campaigner, BJP.
2: <laughs> I'm down with that. I also love a wee test. I'm really, my social media in, in the real world would just be full of me doing really weird tests online. But I'm <laughs> back from sharing them all because I, I could lose myself.
1: It's um, the Myers-Briggs. Is, I feel like we should drop that in for like listeners and just as a kind of like point of reference. Well,
0: for me as well. Um, yeah, the,
1: we the Myers, it. the Myers-Briggs and it's the 16 personality types. Um, yeah, and the campaigners and ENFP. How do you remember all of this? This is- I Googled it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's good though, right? I, th- I feel like it's really good, particularly for me like in the arts, I- I- another phrase that I hate, to just recognize who you are and how you work. And I think like I'm in a really tense, like there's a tense moment at the minute where freelancers are being discussed a lot. And I'm seeing loads. Of, I'm just going in here. Just so stop me, Elaine and Michelle.
1: I never, because
2: is this I hurt you podcast. and you <laughs> could just do it. But the answer to the freelancer issue is like make jobs. And I'm just like, cool. I think there should be jobs for a lot of creative roles that don't exist. And we have to have a conversation about salaried management and middle management whose jobs aren't relevant without the work of a lot of the freelance community. But also that being a freelancer is really fine. And actually some people like, I, and I hope my parents don't listen to this. I don't want a job. Like I'm not not, not that person. I'm just not that person where being freelance is actually a lifestyle that totally, I always joke about commitment issues. It's not, I'm utterly committed, but I'm very like short term. You can have all of me. And now I'm off. You're committed Um, to being uncommitted. (laughs) <laughs> yeah like I just I just have a project head and it, and that's cool. and if I, I could do a job, but I'd become really bitter mm. and I, like I don't want yeah. to. that's my only ambition in the arts is to make it to like the end of my career. And what I hate all of these terms that I'm using. I'm totally cringing at myself as I say. <laughs> but to make it like I would like to be seventy, still make an art and not be bitter. yeah, and yeah. financially surviving. And if if that's what's happening, like boom, I'll be so chuffed.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I think there's like a real drive. Like I've seen it float around in my friends, like social media and people talking about like, oh, it's okay to have like twenty different careers or it's okay to have lots of interests and to do different things. But actually, the reality of that is often is is often something that we we don't actually buy into, or like the sector especially doesn't buy into like the arts, you need to prove your worth. You need to have shown up to so many FST meetings or so many like admin monkeys mornings or you need to have been seen in certain rooms before before you're accepted into those rooms. And it doesn't lend itself to like that fluid temperamental, like temporal practice that I think a lot of people in the arts really love. Like those inspirations that drive making work don't last forever. Like, you you can't keep that up. But the sector pivots towards wanting to to keep you in and you have to prove yourself all the time.
2: Well, it, may, it that's why it's so lovely speaking at you, Rosie, because it makes me think about academia. And uh, in in lockdown, I've made a <laughs> friend, Gilly Clyman, who's, like, this amazing woman.
3: This but- is the... This is so strange. So she's an ex-partner of PB, my partner, and is good friends with my sister and will be going to her wedding in September with me. And I've never met Gilly. It's such a small world.
2: I'm so excited for you because I'm just like, I yeah, I think you'll totally, from what I know, you'll totally hit it off. And like, yeah, basically it's just this like amazing woman who the other day just spoke so eloquently about things not being either or and that notion that if you lean to because I've been thinking about doing a master's this is where this came from I will be starting a master's in September
0: (gasps) yeah yeah. mic drop Um, mic drop I know we've had two mic drops in 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) it makes me shit my pants but it's part time as well because
2: obviously commitment issues Um, (laughs) But the way Gilly well, was also
0: good. hang on a little second, you also have fibromyalgia. So, can you just maybe give yourself a little break mm. by saying that? So, you know,
2: <laughs> I've also got it down four day work week this year. That's yes.
1: Excellent.
2: That's where it's at. Um, but, Gilly, I, I was just like, I don't want it to be perceived as a cop out. And she was like, hold up, this that's the sector that does that where it goes, you have to be either or. Mm. um, And again, people like you Rosie and people like Gilly who I have so much respect for who are academics and artists and she was just like you don't judge anyone else like that so don't internalize that really weird bullshit thing of going you have to be either or when actually you can be both and they feed each other so beautifully.
3: Yeah totally and I think it like if you're if you're not not to say not everyone's creative everyone is creative but if that's your drive if that's your excuse like I say I often say when I'm talking to groups like everyone has excuses to be together and to talk or excuses to be together and do and some excuses are football some excuses are making soups some excuses are going to see your ground on a Sunday but my excuses are art. but like if you can you can change excuses you can have three excuses you can have as many excuses as you want to communicate, explore, like be and exist. It doesn't, your excuses doesn't have to say the same and it doesn't, you don't have to work your way up this absolutely bizarre, very patriarchal chain of the arts to prove your worth and to prove that you're good enough to have that excuse. And like I often think about how we talk about quality and how quality is this driving thing and everyone's like oh we can't put on this performance or there was a woman I was working with um who has since been on women's hour and has had her work published but we wouldn't put we wouldn't sh- create a short play of her work because it wasn't going to be quality because she wasn't from the sector and that's just nonsense like that's just absolute nonsense like And those two things go hand in hand because as artists, as like creative excuses or whatever, we also want to feel valued. And if we're only being valued on this nonsense concept of quality, we're gonna keep buying into my quality is embroiled by how long I spend there, who says it's good and where it's being shown. And I think that's just absolutely bananas. Yes, and exhausting. I'm so tiring. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like. Yeah. I agree. I'm kind of already thinking we're going to have to do a part two. <laughs> I mean, you know, just already. Um, but that kind of does lead us on to our uh, topic at hand, which is the stage 100 (laughs) well it doesn't have to do not necessarily just the stage let's let's be fair just that Uh, idea of ranking uh, our art and our artists and um producing houses I have a lot of feelings on this (laughs)
1: Well, I was super optimistic when I was having my wee read through before the podcast and I, I had a wee read of the article and it was like, we're not going to rank it this year. This is about all of the artists who've contributed. There's only 99, which is one space for everybody else and everyone's representative. And yeah, we're taking out the numbers because there's no, well, the top five was the same top 5 it that's been for the past five, 10 years. I, I, and I couldn't believe it. I was so optimistic, and then I read it, and I was like, "But you just said there was." All right, okay. <laughs> More filmy. Yeah, I think it's sort of. I think it's endemic of
3: a lot of the conversations that free, um, freelancers are having, and the arts are having in general is who is championed and why are they championed, and whose whose work is getting pushed to the pushed forward. And who's is being unseen? And for me, as someone who's um, practiced within theatre, is primarily through creative learning. That that practice is never seen. That's never championed. It's never like given a, a platform to really be shouted about. Um, and I think when you look at it closer, the work that is continuously championed. I mean, within that list, they had Andrew Lloyd Webber. You know, billionaire story.
1: It was prenatus. That's absolutely awesome. a week. Like you, like you, you could watch his stuff for one week, and then it was gone. Yeah, that's it. Like, he literally is part of the
2: House of Lords. He is actually exactly. the man. Doesn't need power or a platform or a profile. And if people want to celebrate what he's done, he should be the one saying, "You don't need to name check me here. Name check these five people who literally need this space a million times more than yeah. me." Totally, I totally
3: agree, and it's who is being who is being celebrated, who is being supported. So I have i read quite a few pe- tweets with people saying, "Oh, the list one hundred is like really diverse this year." I'm I'm so sorry. The majority of them were white men. Yeah. Like that's that's the truth of it. However, the stage chose to use primarily pictures of BIPOC artists and creatives to market the list 100. So people thought it was more diverse. I don't like that word. It was more representative and it wasn't. It also doesn't really, you know, they were like, oh, this is a unique year. And obviously the pandemic makes it a unique year. What else makes it a unique year is Black like Lives Matter is the is the inequality that has grown uh, globally, but within the UK, like, because it's UK specific, women, BIPOC people, um, disabled people are carrying the brunt of the impacts of COVID and inequalities are growing. And within the Stage 100, they said the thing that's shown us this year is that power completely shifts and sheds away, which is nonsense because everyone they listed on that list are employed, are primarily white, are primarily male. And that isn't representative of actually the impacts of COVID at all. It's absolutely, it's, even within
2: that, though, where there was a notion to go this institution, which is a body of multiple people, mm-hmm. has done great work and made an impact. They were all listed under the artistic directors as if they have been the people mm-hmm. hands on individually delivering everything. I'm not saying those artistic directors should be the people hands on delivering everything because that's not how it works. But come the fuck on, basically. <laughs> name-checking people who aren't doing the work and also start name-checking some of the work you're not name-checking and I, I have skin in this game and I'm really biased and I but this is a conversation I would have publicly anyway but I'm part of a, an LGBTI elders social dance club um with National Theatre of Scotland that wasn't mentioned as some of the great work that's happened in the stage 100 under Jackie Wiley's name Because it wasn't NTS, it was Jackie. And again, I'm not blaming Jackie for that. I think it's the whole sector needs to deal with this. Yet, out of all of the stuff that's happened during lockdown, and maybe I'm biased, I think the visibility and connection of queer elders, some of whom can only be themselves in that space that we've created... And the fact that we have continued that and created even more ways of connection, it is totally influenced by the elders, we have their community forum, that that is not being mentioned is just ludicrous. Like even to have published it so a bunch of people go, oh my God, Jack, queer older people might go back in the closet if they go to a care home. That would be a great thought to plant in the world because that is what is happening. No, we don't. We celebrate the things that we've seen anyway and we celebrate them in this linear bullshit way that just doesn't speak to the, and I'm sick of, my parents are constantly like, what do you mean the power of the arts? And I'm just like, well, when you're seeing articles like that, of course you don't believe it exists yeah. because you're not, You're there is no way of exposing you to some of the great work that happens because we refuse to platform it. And I was,
3: yeah. Crazy. I was really shocked for a similar reason that within Scotland, um, it was the same organisations mentioned that rose, it was primarily English organisations. There was one Welsh organisation and I think four Scottish. They did, they mentioned the Lyceum twice. And one of those mentions was for the Lament of Shekhu Bayu. And they praised um, uh, uh, David Gregg and Mike Griffiths. Hannah Levery, the writer, didn't get any mention. Not uh, The artist who worked on it, the musician who worked on it. None of those incredible women of colour were mentioned at all about this this incredible project that was all about, like, the brutal murder of a man of colour. None of these women who were actually involved in the creativity of it, but the people who gave them a stage to film it on were listed in the 100s, and it just highlights that the people in power who can promote people are totally out of touch of actually how important their job is and out of touch with people doing the hard work. Like, I mean, I'm going to be bold here. I know several women who would happily punch David Gregg in the face. This man has too much power and he wields it badly and it impacts people within the sector. Why is he now being praised for this incredible piece of work that took genuine strength and and just like, I can't, I can't fathom that. I can't fathom the work that went into putting that on a page in contacting that family to make sure that it was okay, that this work was happening. Why is he the one who's getting praised for that? It's ridiculous.
2: And wh- why do we live in a sector where the congratulations move in that direction? I think that's what I've struggled with throughout the whole of COVID mm. is the fact that it has been a platform for some individuals and it, and I've just spent a lot of time being like pass the fucking mic um, like do your slot on the BBC do your slot wherever and then mention that a bunch of other people can do it because we don't need any more saviors who are generally directors and playwrights because they're the high profile roles of the sect, they're the ones that make it on the poster like how can we get other people on there and that's what I was and I, again I'm totally biased here Um, seeing freelancers make theatre work in that list made me so happy because it is a nameless organisation in many ways and it is genuinely making attempts at collective working and within that there are there are really high status people mm-hmm. who bloody get their hands dirty and they're high status because their work has been good and they've grafted for years but Within that space, I see them deliberately trying not to take up space and they would have been mortified had their name been profiled above freelancers make theater work. And it gave me that little glimmer of hope of going, so this is possible because it's happening. How can we have this conversation and shift it? So all of those other, all of the institutions because FMTW isn't an institution. It's a group of volunteers that are busting a gut and have for about a year. so the institutions really sit back and go this isn't my place and I think and I don't know Kwame from the Young Vic but I know that Kwame did tweet and say actually can you can you change the name on that to I've looked it up it's not because I remember names very well to Sue Emmes and Shireen Jasmine like can you change our credit to them because they're the ones that did that work and it's just like yeah
0: good yeah, which with well, that in itself is really interesting obviously after last year with Kwame and um the Idris Elba show and, and so that in itself is a really interesting point mm.
2: yeah <laughs> I, say, I don't know I don't know
0: no I know and obviously there's there was such a there was so much stuff within that last year and maybe and maybe that moment has triggered something and will make him be really aware of when things aren't done properly and that's what you hope
1: well because people are capable of learning and changing and growing and helping and that's what we need to remind people and encourage people that if you make one mistake you shouldn't be cancelled and blacklisted unless you consistently keep making the mistake and don't recognize that it was a mistake you can apologize you can make amends and you can move forward Mm -hmm.
2: I think there's also a will for me. I was just going to say there's also a will to be open to change and be looking for change and looking for evolution. And I I would say that that this sector thing that we navigate, I hate, I, I'm going to keep saying I I hate all of those words, none of them are applicable. <laughs> um, this thing that we navigate has created situations of comfort for people who found their route to that comfort pre-austerity years people who are of in the kindest way like a boomer generation Mm -hmm. some of whom don't want to recognize that I have no doubt through the 80s they went through shit storms upon shit storms but it had the situation that in now there is comfort that has been granted from that and that that there's a lot of self-reflection to do and just being like having longer than a five-year position in any of these things is toxic in and of itself co-leadership is possible and it would take massive like facing your fears massively to step away from a, a job you've held for 25 years but part of me like we talk a lot in this this whole thing we navigate about like the wider world and I'm just like that is also applicable and I need you to be open enough to change that you suck it up and listen and if in doubt bring yourself on board a bunch of early 20s women <laughs> of <laughs> lots of intersections of identity and pay them to be your consultants because I will happily sit in a room and go this is changing come on like yeah I mean get
3: it. yeah I totally agree and I think that there's often a, there's a lack of transparency that I think like pervades all of the theatres it pervades the arts like massively and uh doing the rounds on social media about like talking about how much you earn like talking how much money you get and how icky that is and it's icky for us but it will be ickier for people earning three times what i earn you know and actually there's a certain amount of the certain amount of transparency around everything that we do like the decisions that are made by organizations who are subsidized by the government on why they're making the decisions that they're making why are you programming why you, what you're programming who are you speaking to who's in that room i'm paying for it my taxes are paying for it and the emotional labor that we do and you know i'm i'm privileged woman i'm sitting in my flat in edinburgh studying a phd with a cat asleep on my lap like i'm okay but the people who are doing the really hard work, like Fringe of Colour, have been shouting about the lack of representation within the Fringe, within the Edward International Festival, within all of these organizations for like, I think at least five or six years and no one has listened to them. And it, feel, it feels it feels, you know, I'm frustrated. I can't imagine how frustrated they are, but there's a lack of transparency about why these decisions are being made and who is making them and why more isn't being done to be more representative and to work as a collective I mean I obviously have a a particular bee in my bonnet about Edinburgh International Festival they can naff off but um being being polite I had a beer the cat hasn't you know I don't want to expose (laughs) it so wait away so wait away (laughs) (laughs) but um and I think that if you look at Just who's making these decisions and why they're making those decisions and how tokenistic decisions are, you know, like we're going to have a women's season or we're going to have a program of only BIPOC work. Like, but are you going to make fundamental changes in your board, in your leadership? And often I think we talk about who's at the top, but we don't talk about who's taking up the majority of the bottom. And that's women. And often it's women of color who are underpaid and overworked and underrepresentative and under-supported. And it's, in it's, this, the stage 100 list feels like just a really perfect, like, representation of that. It's like a reflection of the reality of working in the arts. Like, no one's going to talk about you unless you're Andrew fucking Lloyd Webber, unless you're David Gregg, unless you're Mike Griffiths, unless you've got that top job in a top organization. They also, that's to go too far back, but the Stage 100 list also listed Pitlockery Theatre, who are a great organisation, but they fired all of their most underpaid staff really early on within lockdown. They didn't furlough them because they didn't have the resources, but they're still putting out digital work. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, how out of touch can you be? And I suspect also, partly the problem is, the list was so England-centric. There was one Welsh organisation on there. Yeah. There was full Scottish. Like, I don't even know if there was any Northern Irish, I'm not oh, yeah. sure. But I was ask. I don't think there was. So that's five percent. So 95% of what they're putting out is all English organizations. That in itself is a lack of representation and understanding of the myriad of like work that is being made and who's making it.
2: There's so much in it as well, though. For me, there's the thing of going like who in a pandemic who is best placed to measure impact and arguably for me it's the people who are most fucked like (laughs) instead of seeing people being celebrated for all they're doing for freelancers measured by who is an institution and not as a genuine survey of freelancers and a question to freelancers because I also keep seeing a lot of situations where I'm like hmm I was in some of those rooms and it was really toxic. And I, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about that being celebrated or the, or or mythology mythologized. I'm making up words, but we'll go with it. <laughs> I think there's something about going for me, transparency is also really massively about going this failed. Mm. And here is why it failed, and we were allowed to fail because it was done at pace and blah 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 blah. But it failed, and it's important that we don't have to justify it in the grand scheme of things, because then people try and replicate that model, and we know that model doesn't work because it failed, and it failed those who are most vulnerable. And this is where it's something that is so much in what you said, Rosie. But like pace really gets on my tits. I'm going to be honest, because we have this really hypocritical conversation about pace, where we can't do those things that quickly. You know it. gonna take us a while it's a big ship how'd you turn it versus have you replied to me really quickly this call out will be put out and you're gonna have to respond in three weeks but and I'm just like hold up so are we going really fast or are we going really slow or is it just what suits maintaining the status quo and actually can we flip that pace there are things that can happen with immediacy and um, or you can slow shit down because I'm sorry, asking anyone to apply for two hundred and fifty to a thousand quid in a pandemic, in in three weeks, four weeks, and sometimes over Christmas, because that was a great idea from some people. We'll release our call out at the end of December. Is yeah. and I'm not saying everyone gets Christmas anyway, because we're not all fucking Christians. I, I we've yet to cotton on to that. Um, but this whole thing of going there's loads of access questions around the pace of call outs anyway, but are you shitting me in this year where everyone is facing huge amounts of stress and trauma, we're going to bang these ridiculous deadlines on things for next to nothing. For so many people, that 250 quid commission will fuck up their universal credit because they currently live on just over 400 quid a month. Like, and you expect them To do half a day's work on that for free you're not going to give them any feedback on their application because lo and behold there's been like multiples of thousands of applicants because everyone is screwed and trying to stay in the sector like i don't understand how that's hard to see and maybe slow it down and think
0: yeah i think it's not hard to see though you're right it's not hard to see they're choosing not to see it
3: yeah and I think we talk, oh, there's been so much talk about this, the time that theatre in particular can change. It's going to be more representative. It's going to take everyone on the journey, but whose work are we seeing being put out? Like whose stories are we hearing? Like I was absolutely flabbergasted that NTS would say, we're going to commission all of these famous people and take their fee and then recommission other artists why aren't you just putting out artists work now? Why is it that uh, I keep going on this weird rant about Ian Rankin, my partner really likes his books. And I'm always like, no, he's doing great. Uh, (laughs) But like, why has he been commissioned by the Lyceum and NTS? And why is he making millions of pounds out of this? And his profile is getting bigger. And when you look at the amount of money they NTS raised, so they asked for donations and they took famous people's money, it was only 30,000 pounds. Like it wasn't from like this, that was that's one person's tiny salary. That's a small salary for a year. That's not hundreds of artists being looked after meaningfully. Why aren't those ways being thought of? Why aren't organizations like stopping, hitting pause and thinking, if we're not gonna take everyone with us, then what the fuck are we gonna do? Because you can't, I feel like it's gotten more insular. It's just, it's closed in on itself. People are taking the people they know are going to make their money along the way, rather than reaching further out and supporting the people who have been so badly impacted by this pandemic. And the list 100 reflects that. It's all people who have full-time, permanent, well-paid jobs, you know? Apart from freelancers make theatre. <laughs> Apart from you guys. But <laughs> I suppose for me, there's
2: loads of questions about the kindest part of me goes, stage one pandemic, everyone thought it'd be over in a few months. So maybe there was just a lot, everyone shat their pants and did what they did. Stage two, a kind of go, that seems like naive, mm. and we haven't done a lot, but here's a chance to reset hasn't happened stage three (laughs) that I would say we're in now I feel like this is going to be the real judgment call moment for me Mm -hmm. because the thing about going we're not going to be live again until next year in the way that we recognize live and to plan for that would be fundamentally foolish like there's hope and I like I'm all about hope you'd never believe it speaking to me but I'm very hopeful. but I think there's a thing of going, right, actually, we need to be strategic now. People will hopefully have had some kind of break over the festive period and got off their own little adrenaline hamster wheel that I know will have been. I'm, I'm under no illusion that a lot of organisations went from 30 staff to four because people were overloaded. There are lots of things we could talk about in relation to that. But I get that panic and hopefully now that panic will have, Calmed slightly or just the pace slowed, I would hope that people can really sit and go, right? We're gonna be strategic and just look at what we're doing. Like, why are we asking a bunch of people to? And I'm gonna say pivot, which is starting to everyone's pivot in their practice. And I'm like, to me, a pivot is when I step forward on one foot and swish around to face the other way. <laughs> yeah. And I'm seeing too many people do that in my brain that don't need to be taking space up in my brain
0: um also but- you say that and all i can think is pivot,
2: pivot. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> it's not like it's too many images but instead of going some people have been pursuing these practices for years so they could be amplified in this moment and instead we've got a bunch of people who were never interested in digital learning how to direct digitally on their iphone at home we've got a bunch of people who've never had an interest in community practice, I say in inverted commas, whatever that means. um, Pursuing these things. And I'm just like, there is a whole, there are generations of artists that do this Mm. to a fine point, like it is their craft and they're proud of their craft. Why is that space not there for these individuals, which also then creates space for other people to actually like stop and think. And within that, who is being gifted that stop and think time? Because arguably it should be representative of the sector we hope we would come back to. And that's going to piss a lot of people off because they believe they're entitled to make their art. Yeah. And
3: I'm sorry, but none of us are. I mean, like, I th- yeah, I think at a time when like parents are being asked, I I've tweeted this, but parents are being asked to be teachers, teachers are delivering food to children so that they can eat like women are becoming full-time carers like every day and people are going above and beyond and taking on positions that they're not necessarily comfortable with the idea that we would be making art for art's sake feels so ridiculously self-indulgent in the middle of a global pandemic when inequalities are just ravishing like every single spot on this planet that why it feels absolutely ridiculous And the people who have the privilege of being able to make art for art's sake are the people whose art I would be interested in seeing, if I'm being honest. It would be very pale, stale and male. Like, and I, yeah, it's, it sucks. And we want to be able to be creative and we want to be able to have different drives and we want to be looking at different things. But when the organizations around us who are really the, they're the, they're the fortress of the arts they are what is recognized they're where the mo- that's where the money goes to. I hate that it, that it's about money but that's where the money goes to when we when I see an organization make a really exciting Christmas show and there's gonna be snow coming out and I'm just like you know what TV exists and they do it so well. Have you ever watched the Sopranos Jesus Christ I don't want to watch theater online. I'm going to watch six seasons of Sopranos back to back. <laughs> like, but you have tools, you have these unique tools and the people you work with and the artists you work with are communicators, they're creative thinkers, their they're excuse to be in a room and to talk to people is, is something incredible. And you could harness that and you could make something really meaningful and you could have meaningful, important impacts, you know? Like... I've been running these sessions with a group of young mums in your house and we got the charity that uh, I have access with them through, got them iPads and unlimited data and it was great. The best session we've done so far was just soup making and we just talked and we shared stories. And I'm a storyteller facilitator and that is more meaningful than any Christmas show. That's more meaningful than anything that you would see online because also ultimately a lot of the stuff that's being put out there isn't accessible because half half children who live in socioeconomically deprived areas don't have access to the internet the other half don't have easy access to digital devices the people that the sector claims to be serving and supporting are completely absent from the majority of stuff that's being put out there and that is another thing that annoyed me about the Stage 100 is that they kept praising all of this, like, oh, they made a show and they put this out. And it's like, who cares? Who cares? Like, it's not that important. There's a really interesting link in what you said as well,
2: Rosie, because I'm I'm always interested in the word culture and what we mean by culture. And. Um, As a a little disclaimer, cultured and cultured mongrel relates to yogurt, as in like, (laughs) it makes you feel good. Does it like
0: the cultures in your tummy?
2: Yeah, that's that's where that thought came from. You know, when you're like, hmm, I didn't totally think that through. (laughs) Um, But the yeah, the notion that what you're talking about, that soup making session is essentially like Kaylee in its traditional form.
0: that's what I was thinking about the whole time when you were talking about that and it's
2: just like so if we're talking about Scottish culture in some ways what you've done there is much more accurate in terms of what Scottish culture traditionally was as an evolution of that thing that we claim to want to preserve and again that speaks to me of the function of culture in a society because I'm all for arts for art's sake I spent the whole pandemic doing arts for art's sake. I've picked up a paintbrush for the first time in ten years. I'm not saying anyone should see that, but <laughs> like, and and in an ideal flourishing world, publicly funding that is is a good thing. Like, I think it's great to show value to that. But we're not key workers, and I think that's the gig that we need to get over in and of ourselves. There are areas of what we do that are more essential and relative to that role. But I'm kind of, in fact, I'm pissed off. I'm not kind of pissed off. I'm pissed off that when so many people's livelihoods and lifelines fell apart in a short space of time, Mm
1: -hmm. the first
2: request was that these people produce product because unlike supermarket workers and waste collectors and nurses and teachers, who it was essential that that they kept going to support some kind of infrastructure to get us through the crisis. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Nothing that was being produced then was generally essential infrastructure, unless it was about isolation and supporting people in extremely isolated conditions. And so what we did is we took a bunch of really stressed people Mm -hmm. and went, turn on your creative tap and we're gonna pay you piss all for it. Um, And I'm just like, that is actually irresponsible more than anything, it's totally irresponsible and very ill-informed. And I'm seeing loads of people at the minute, largely on Twitter, because that's where I love to live, um, and <laughs> talking about like, why am I so tired all of the time? And I'm like, it's a stress is a medical condition. Mm-hmm. Prolonged stress has medical outcomes. And I say that as someone who would argue, my way of living for the past 10 years has led to my disability. I can't say that directly, but fibromyalgia, stress, CPTSD, put them in a melting pot. Like there is some research there. And I just think this is a fucking joke. It's an absolute joke that in a moment of pandemic, what we did is ask people to produce.
0: Yeah. But doesn't this come as well from what we were talking about earlier about our sense of worth and our sense of value as well? Because so many artists, that whole feeling of our industry is falling off the cliff edge that to hold on to it in any way, shape or form will do whatever it takes. So And this isn't something that I can't and I don't know if they're connected, but I'm I'm now wondering if if they are this whole idea of, you know, the top 100 and how things aren't changing. And part of it is that article itself was a paid article. You have to pay the stage to read it. So the majority of artists right now don't have that money. So they're not exposed to it. So they're missing out on that conversation. And again, they might only be seen on Twitter, but they can't read the full article.
3: Yeah, completely. And,
0: and like, I don't know if that's any relevant, what we're, but it just, it all know, felt I, like it really, it was.
3: The people who are praised in in that are predominantly people who are in a privileged enough position to be able to make work comfortably. Like, there's a lack of, I mean, just like I said about the Lyceum being praised for Hannah Lavery's um, show, Lamenta Shekka uh, Boyo, is that that wasn't Hannah Lavery being praised. That's the people who gave her a stage, Exactly. it's not the story that's being praised, it's not the hard emotional labor that's being praised, it's the top, it's the top up that's being praised and recognized. And artists are like at that moment when everything went to shit and it's still at shit, like I feel worse now, I think, than I did nine or 10 months ago. Like I'm, I'm tired, like I'm making, I'm doing, I'm writing, I'm thinking, and I just want, I just want, like a really big jug of margarita. I want the sun out. I want to sit the fuck down. And I want to like not actually talk about any art. <laughs> I want to watch a cartoon. That's what I want to do. Um, but is that you have artists were being asked to make, and it's not not even if they if they didn't financially need to. But the nature of arts and the nature of the sector is that you have to keep being in that room and you have to keep being seen, even if financially you don't need to. Even if you have the privilege of being like, you know what, I'm gonna take six months off and I'm gonna do whatever. The arts doesn't let you do that. You have to keep having those conversations. You have to keep being in that room. And that's really problematic because we're all so tired. No matter how much effort we've put in, it's a global pandemic. Like. And I will keep championing it and I will say it forever but we need a universal basic income to support yes. not, the arts, not just the artists, but also everyone else everyone. Every, yeah exactly my um my friend works in a care home and she was made redundant because literally everyone died yeah and she didn't have any support like there was no artist bursary there was nothing to support her and she had to move back home with her parents and she and like that level of complex grief and, loss. and
0: the grief on top of that and not just the fact of losing your job but having been in an environment where this virus has caused the death of so many people
3: exactly and people like that are slipping through the cracks and with like painfully and I won't go into my take on arts policy or why the arts is funded at all I could talk about it for ages I won't but the headline be the of, second
0: episode, Rosie. So.
3: <laughs> like a cultural statue of Scotland came out in February twenty twenty, no twenty nineteen. I don't know. I've lost time. Yes, and they um, said we're funding you because you can fundamentally empower people, support people, and change people's lives. That's why the arts is given money. But the predominant thing that the arts does is just produce content. And those things aren't the same. Those things just aren't the same. And like the, we've been given, we've got this opportunity, institutions exist. I'm very skeptical that they're gonna change meaningfully after this. And they need to, in my opinion. But we could be doing, we could just be doing more. For people who have slipped through the cracks, like my friends, like we could be doing so much more.
2: And not adding to the noise. That's the other one that really burns me where I'm just like, content creation is dead. Like there are a million articles about how adding to the noise is not productive <laughs> in any way. And also like post-work societies and reading about all of the research in the post-work societies and stuff. And you're just like, content creates work.
1: In- what i think is really interesting is the film and tv industry is an essential industry they are still going they have continued throughout i'm grateful because it means i am now getting paid work and so i i'm not i'm not mad about it
0: (laughs) (laughs) she's got her bills to pay
1: i've got to pay my bills realistically and i buy some crystals i've got to buy more crystals always more crystals And I love the work but the reality is that is content creation and that is continuing. People are not going to run out of content because everything is still happening as busy if not busier than it would usually be of a January. So exactly the point is theatre makers don't need to be also making content they can be focusing their labors elsewhere. Now is the time to recognize that and see it because as a creative industry, film and TV and theater we're sisters We're we are we are one in the same. we we do the same thing we have slightly different skill sets but we are the same creative enablers. We don't all need to be trying to do the same thing. Or
3: if you are,
2: sorry, Elaine, if you are creating content, cool, but I'm going to ask you why 10 times in a row so that whatever answer you give me, I want the why of that. And can we actually grind it down to the, the real reason? And if the real reason is because we feel like we need to be relevant, I'm just going to be like, stop. Stop. Just relevance is buying into a whole system that is serving nobody realistically. Like, are you creating content because you and a bunch of your pals are on some like mad journey and having a great time and that is your survival strategy? Fucking yes, crap <laughs> on and create that content because in the act of create, the content isn't the subject. Mm-hmm. The act of creation is the subject and the content will then exist. Like, are you creating content because a a specific group of people have really asked you to do that? And it is important at this moment in time, given the state of US politics, given Black Lives Matter, given the state of, if UK is a phrase you choose to use, um, UK politics, like given all of these things, maybe there are some groups that are saying we actually would really love you to pursue this. Good. Like crack on because it is a moment like I think of Heather Marshall's stuff with Creative Electric, Creative Electric in Leith mm-hmm. where she's got a small grant to put up I think it's White Roses I, I could have made up it, or Carnations and just written No Place for Hate in Leith over some quite horrendous graffiti mm-hmm. and I'm like that is totally relevant in loads of ways and it's really important that that happens as it does now. But other than that, I just have spent loads of time being like,
0: why does why, why? So uh, what I was going to say was just on that that kind of thing as well. Of I don't think any of us are kind of saying you know TV and films shouldn't be getting made because there is uh, there's a need for that and that's people's jobs etc. It's the the thing with the theatre crossover is because we they don't know what to do.
2: Mm.
1: that's
0: actually the panic has set in and it's like how do we survive and the only thing that they can see that is similar to them is film and telly so Mm -hmm. we create that online content because that can be consumed and actually as well if we're fair because we look at it very much from people who live and work in this sector quote-unquote industry right and you know we talk about it but actually um, somebody who's a nurse or somebody who is working in Tesco or somebody actually does want to come home and just put on a tv and watch something and not have to think because they've had a fucking shit day that we can't even comprehend like totally. like you know like that is also part of our job totally we can't take that away like that is part of our job but the other thing is that we need to find a balance and there has to be something and I think that Um, theatre has panicked like what you were saying Rosie like that thing about you know just making soup and stuff like that like I've now got this whole idea in my head of well maybe we do like storytelling sessions with people maybe that's like you know like and and if we need to to get people interested you get the big names quote unquote involved but you also get other people in there as well and we have people share how their day's been like how shitty your day was today or how great your day was today or your kid like you know shat over you but then told you that <laughs> they loved you
3: yeah and I think the-
0: I don't know that could be boring
3: <laughs> I think has become sort of like its own its own self-prophecy like we were talking about how there was an anticipation that freelancers we had to jump in and make something to stay relevant and i think even bigger organizations felt like that they felt like they had to put something out there to stay in the conversation and to still be seen and recognized
1: well because that's and, what the funding's for
3: their funding is
1: only for making content
3: well i don't know if it is only for making content especially what, the
1: and that's what's seen and it's again yeah. going back to this whole thing of what you were saying about the the stuff that's valuable quoteunquote mm-hmm is the content they're making. And so now, unable to like create the content that they would usually make, they're scrabbling. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah.
3: And I think that like, we are in a different, we are different to the, to film and TV, in that oh, theatre is so much broader and um, not more exciting. I fucking love film and TV honestly it's my jam like why don't I I was I was saying to my partner the other day I've just been binged like six hours of tv like just sat on the sofa just watching I was like man I want to make that that's great what am I doing but (laughs) it's that
0: there's something tangible about theatre and yeah, it, and it's, I'm rubbing my fingers together and people can't see it because we're on a podcast. But, but. It's,
3: that, it's that liveness, it's being in a room, it's sitting in a room with people and laughing at the same point as the person you don't know next to you is laughing and it's having that shared experience and having that dialogue and there's an immediacy to TV so I can turn to my partner and say that's that shit, did you see what he did there? Which I can't do in theatre, I've got to keep that, I've got to retain it and then converse about it afterwards. But there's like, there's that, there's a lived reality to performance, which when you film it is almost lost. Film and TV know what they're doing. They've cracked it. Like, we are performers, but we're also like one-to-one people. And the nature of really complex and sometimes really exciting theatre is that it breaks down those barriers. You're not sitting in the dark as an audience member or whatever. You're being challenged directly. And sometimes people come really close to your face and you can you can feel you can see the sweat coming off them or you can feel their voice against like your face or you like can sense them moving through the crowd and the things that theater does isn't necessarily directly translatable into digital like and it misses a big part of what makes theater really interesting and exciting and that's people and one of the organizations who was listed on the list 100 is slung low who they pivoted but not that much, like they're, they're really, they're based in their community and they uh, in Leeds and they um, have been support, they've created this massive food bank. And when you, re- you hear the director and you read the blogs that he's been writing, he's like, if this audience aren't here tomorrow, if these people aren't here tomorrow, there's no point in us making art. Like these are the people who we talk to and these are the stories and these are the conversations and these are the people that we want to support, connect with, without them, we're nothing. And I feel like there's a lack of that in theatre in that we often say we're all OK. We're on that raft together and we're holding each other in. But actually, the people around us, without them, we're nothing.
0: Yeah, you
3: know? It's um, what
0: Emma-Jean said. And I think it was what Misha was trying to say, that idea of, um, um I don't want to speak speak for you, Misha, but just what you were saying about uh, the content is, like you were talking about your mum and dad and not the like the group for the elders and it's just because people don't see that they don't know that that important work is happening and it is and that's the stuff that needed that needs to get pushed to the fore and it's just exactly as you say um i'm super aware of time and um i I mean we could continue on and on and on but (laughs) yeah um I would love a part two if you two amazing women are available for a part two um fabulous no I'm just really aware of zoom fatigue I'm really aware of people's days I'm really aware of that as much as that um so I'm sorry that I kind of interrupted there um yeah no I don't know what I'm going to say <laughs> what, what was the saying no but I think
2: it's really interesting Wait, Elaine though sorry before you can to What's really funny is I'm now sitting and I, this could just be me because there's loads of other things that are like ping, 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 mention governance models, mention outputs and what the fuck that meant to me. Mention pace again, just slow down. But the thing that's sitting with me is I'm now sitting going, have I said anything here that is really offensive? Have I said anything I shouldn't have, which is hilarious because I know that everything I will have said will be based in my value set and everything that I stand by. But I have a huge question around the fact that that it feels like that that carries that that thing still exists even Mm -hmm. as someone who has been about for a while and I know I will have said it more aggressively and in a less nuanced way on Twitter (laughs) 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 I do all the time but it's like this is the question I think we're wrestling with Mm -hmm. where it's like apparently we can't have these conversations and like what what is that that's obviously we have had the conversation but it's really shitty that you can't have the conversation and just walk away without any level of anxiety
0: yeah or the fear that comes with it within this
1: fucking industry
2: and again I see people who do walk away without any level of anxiety and I'm like
0: how do they do it I want to know who they are (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. again in these powerful positions where they're quite salaried high profile And even if they are abusive, they will be employed again by the same people. That's why they don't get anxiety, because there's no actual
3: scarcity or threat. Yeah, I mean, that's actually, not to change the subject completely, but that's something that I think about all the time, is that the amount of women I know who work in this sector who are having a list. We have a list, and we're just sharing it. We've got this little list of men who we can't go near or be in rooms with, and yet they're high profile, and... One of the alarming things that i find is that women who have had conversations with about a certain man will then go on and work on a project with that man or be in a room and actually like it is that there's no consequence and we feel the consequences and like if i a white woman are scared of the consequences of what i'm saying what the fuck are other people feeling yeah like i my privilege is way more than than a lot of people who are and who will be having these conversations and basically i'm not saying that we have to get rid of all men but i'm just saying like a majority
0: yeah i mean let's finish the <laughs> right for part one um i, I think we that. can sum up that uh the stage and all of these ranking of theater and art needs re-evaluated and actually really why i get that it's to sell articles and all of that you know we get the whole reason behind it. But really, is it helpful?
1: No, is the answer.
0: Um, I'm not going to ask either of you what persistent and nasty means to you because we'll ask that on part two.
3: Ooh.
0: <laughs> something so to sure look you, can do, you can do your little sign out for just now, though.
1: Well, thank you, Emma-Jane Park. Thank you, Rosie Priest. You have both been sensational, powerhouse, like just wow and thank you for your bravery and sharing thank you for your honesty thank you for your brutality in tearing this industry apart and starting it the fuck again because that's what it needs to be and you two are just fabulous so thank you for joining us and until part two and until next time lovely listeners stay Stay nasty (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>